Dueling Genre Productions presents. Oh my god, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my god, I'm flying. I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly. Super senses. What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm joseph drowski and this week we are discussing diane chambers from the cheers episode give me a ring sometime to help me with the discussion i am joined by returning guest kate drowski hey guys (laughs) welcome back kate very glad to have you here uh you previously were on our episode discussing gilmore girls yes rory on gilmore girls and I had the unpopular take that all the boyfriends were bad. You are completely wrong. <laughs> Logan's the best. And, uh, but, but this week we are talking about one of the classic TV series of all time, Cheers. Now, Kate, we often begin these discussions with the, how did you come to it? For me, it was Frasier first. I watched all of Frasier and then watched it all again, probably at some point. And then we got, you and I co-authored the book on Frasier and I watched it all again probably twice during that process. Often it's background shows. It's not like I was sitting taking notes every episode. It's just, it became part of the wallpaper of my life during uh, us working on that book. And at some point in there, I thought, you know, I've never actually seen an episode of Cheers. And I know there are 11 seasons and I know Frasier's on a bunch of them. I actually didn't even know for sure off the top of my head at that point, how many there were. I should probably go watch those. And so I watched all of the Frasier seasons of Cheers while we were working on the Frasier book, just um, because I knew we were going to have to do some of that background material. That was the first time I watched any Cheers. Um, and I quickly grew to love it. It is a great show. So how did you first come to Cheers, Kate? Uh, I had never seen an episode while we wrote our Frasier book. I purposely wanted to be the one who hadn't seen any Cheers and you did all the background on Cheers and I came at it from just pure Frasier. And then... Still hadn't seen an episode. We signed our Cheers book deal and thought, meh, probably should see some episodes then. Um, I've now seen it two and a half times through. Didn't quite make it that third way through while writing our book and equally love it as much as Frasier. It is a fantastic show. Yeah, it, it has a very different tone because it is an earlier show. There's elements of the 1980s, both in some of the jokes, but also the pacing that feel different from uh, the 90s sitcoms of Frasier. And it's certainly very different from the modern sitcoms, uh, which have changed pretty significantly. And, <laughs> you know, in the 2000s, uh, moving from the multi-camera to, to a lot of single camera, dropping the laugh track in a lot of cases. So there's a different feel to it um, that, so it can take, um, you know, a, a few episodes to get into the rhythm of if you're mostly have been exposed to um, the more modern television. But if you read any interviews with modern 
uh, sitcom creators and writers, they all reference Cheers as their touchstone. <laughs> um, and so if you enjoy modern sitcoms, definitely part of the ancestry um, and the comedic DNA of modern sitcom writers is Cheers. And once you really start to um, dig into it, I think it pretty quickly becomes apparent why that is. Today, we're going to be talking about the episode, Give Me a Ring Sometime, which is actually the pilot episode of Cheers. It was written by Glenn and Les Charles and directed by James Jimmy Burroughs. It first aired on September 30th, 1982 on NBC. It tells the story of how Diane Chambers, an elitist pseudo-intellectual, comes to work as barmaid at a sports bar named Cheers. And Diane Chambers is played by Shelley Long, and Sam Malone is played by Ted Danson. And in this pilot, we meet many of the core group of Cheers, um, but not all of them because there was a lot of cast turnover over on Cheers, which we will get to in the trivia. Speaking of the trivia, uh, Cheers famously flopped in its first season. This is one thing that you can almost always come up, uh, come across if you are looking up any information on Cheers. There was a week in its first season when it was the least watched show on network television. I think the numbers that there were 79 shows that aired on the three major networks. This is in the era before Fox even was the fourth major network. And certainly before there were many cable options that were going to be commonly accessible to viewers. And so uh, in the three major networks, there were 79 shows and one week Cheers was the least watched of any of them. And it eventually became the most watched show on television during its run and spent all of its run from, I want to say, the third season through the, the final season. Maybe it was the fourth through the final season in the top 10 all of those years. Like it's, it's, it rose pretty steadily um, after that first season. It's just incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to turn around. Uh, uh, and um, notably, the only reason it got a second season is that the executives at NBC were fans of the show. And during a meeting, one of them said, do we have anything better? And everyone looked at each other and said, no. <laughs> so uh, they kept it on. Um, at the time, NBC was the last place network. There were jokes about it being the fourth place of the three networks <laughs> that were on television. And um, there was a regime change. And one of the first shows of the new regime that was being championed was Cheers. And the, the feeling within the network was... If we put on quality, people will find it, even if they're not watching it now. So we got to keep the quality on. And um, certainly, again, think of this as the era when there are few viewing options. Absolutely no streaming, no DVDs, no VCRs, none of this. Uh, reruns are key. And in the summer, um, people found Cheers during reruns because most of the networks just ran their fall and spring blocks again during the summer. <laughs> their fall, winter, spring. Uh, you know, in the sp uh, late spring and summer, they just ran those exact same blocks with reruns. People had already seen the top 10 shows that were airing opposite of Cheers, and a lot of them found Cheers, and it rose um, into a healthy area of ratings in its second season, and then it was into the top 10 pretty soon thereafter. Um, famously also the Cheers bar is one of the most iconic sets in television and it is based on a real bar in Boston called the Bull and Finch which has enjoyed a lot of marketing <laughs> associated <laughs> with that There's, seems like the, uh, if you find interviews with the owners of the Bull and Finch and with the regulars it's kind of a love-hate relationship with the fame but part they love is the money of all the tourists that come through Boston um, and, and, and make a stop there and speaking of that set one thing that if you go and watch Cheers, you should pay attention to the entire first season. Every episode is a bottle episode. Every episode is on is solely in the Cheers bar. There are no exterior shots um, other than some establishing shots, but no actors ever appear in exterior shot. And none of the storylines ever actually take place for the viewers outside of the bar. Um, they, there are elements of stories that do take place, but it's always the bar customers come in and describe what has happened to them. You never actually follow them out of the bar in the first season. And uh, that does start to change in the second season, but certainly the heart of the, the, the show remains um, the, the bar cheers. And I mentioned at the beginning uh, or a little bit earlier that there are several cast changes. Um, in this episode, we get the core cast of Sam Malone, the bar owner and bartender, and Diane Chambers, the pseudo-intellectual bar, uh, barmaid. And then there's Carla Tortelli, who is... What's the best way to describe Carla, Kate? <laughs> oh, <laughs> She just speaks what's ever on her mind. Yes. Just doesn't hold anything back. And and it's not often positive. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very rarely. But she has a hard life. She's Yeah, she's a single mom tough. of, by the end of the series, is it seven kids? Eight. Eight kids by the end of the series. There's twins in there. Right. She has four to start mm -hmm. with. Or five. 
four. Four. And then there's twins and then two others because they worked in uh, Rhea Perlman, the actress who plays Carlo Tortelli's pregnancies, into the show. Every time Rhea Perlman was pregnant in real life, Carlo was pregnant on the show. Um, not the case for Diane Chambers. Longtime listeners of this mm. podcast know one of my favorite things is <laughs> television actresses pretending not to be pregnant and the way that uh, the series get around that. Diane Chambers uh, in, in the third season it goes off to Europe in the latter half of the season because Shelley Long was pregnant and they actually filmed those Europe scenes um, like at, at, by mid-season, around mid-season. They'd filmed all of those. They'd, they'd pre-written them before they filmed any other parts of those episodes. They filmed these scenes of her in Europe and they actually ended up shuffling and editing some of those scenes into, into different episodes they had originally been planned for. But they filmed all her parts before she was very pregnant. But even then, there are still a few episodes where she's sitting at the back behind the bar for most of the episode reading a book and just offering comments. One episode, she gets trapped <laughs> inside the floor of Cheers with just her face appearing through a grate for a chunk of the episode. And these were all efforts to hide um, her pregnancy from viewers. Um, we also, in this episode, meet Norm Peterson, who is the most regular of the Cheers regulars. Um, his famous entrance of just walking in and everyone yelling, Norm, simultaneously feels like a um, sitcom stereotype of a different era and also feels very perfect when you watch the show. And I don't know how it strikes that balance, but it definitely does. There's also Cliff Clavin, who is the know-it-all blowhard at the bar, and uh, coach Ernie Pantuso, who is this dim-witted, lovably dim-witted, so lovable, <laughs> <laughs> lovably dim-witted uh, older bartender. Um, and then if you're familiar with Cheers, you might be saying, well, where's Woody? Where's uh, Rebecca? Where's Frasier? Um, a lot of these characters get, get introduced in later seasons, but that's the core group that we have through the first season. Uh, Kate, do you have any other trivia that you think is worth mentioning about Cheers? I know you're overwhelmed with trivia because you, we just turned <laughs> we in the have, manuscript to the book. <laughs> we could just talk for two hours and just Cheers trivia. I think those are the big core ones. There's like the casting ones where like Cliff wrote himself into the show. Yeah, that's a good bit of trivia. We're not going to talk much about Cliff, and I know he's a lot of um, Cheers fans. One of his favorite, one of their favorite characters. Um, do you want to tell the story of how he got onto the show? Uh, John Ratzenberger uh, auditioned for the part of Norm, pretty much bombed it, knew he bombed it, and then went back to the producers and said, do you have a bar know-it-all? Every bar has a know-it-all. And they said, we don't. And then he just improved the audition of a random fact and kind of gave that a, like a little known fact. And that's how he became his character. They wrote him in and then was a regular within the first season yeah in, in the first season he wasn't like he's not in the credits because he wasn't um a cast you know one of the core cast he was just supposed to be a recurring character but i think he recurs in every episode i think he's in every episode yeah. I don't think um, one i'd have to double check the trivia on that uh, but he if he's not from the second season on he is um and he becomes the um he, he's in the credits as a as a core cast member in the second season and then center of the show yeah, yeah like everyone else <laughs> yeah wouldn't be the same without him oh yeah absolutely um, and we are actually a little peek behind the curtain for listeners are going to record an episode on Sam Malone. That's going to drop months from now <laughs> for when our cheers book comes out. So we'll have some more trivia, uh, in that episode that we're going to record right after this one. And it's just going to be in the bank until the, our, our book cheers, a cultural history is ready for publication. Before we move on to our discussion of this episode, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening. And we also want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. We appreciate all of our supporters and all of you at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. Spoiler, I think I've pulled away and secured 2018. Uh, oh, wait, this episode is going to drop after we, we reveal all of that. So never mind. That's not a spoiler anymore. That is history. <laughs> That's fact. <laughs> yes, that is, that is just fact. Um, and all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Another peek behind the curtains for recording this over the Christmas holiday because Kate is in town. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, here is the plot synopsis of the episode. Give me a ring sometime. Sam Malone comes from the back room and turns on the light at the bar. Cheers. An underage boy comes in and tries to buy a beer only to be caught by Sam. He very easily spies that this is <laughs> not an adult who can enjoy an alcoholic beverage. Very clearly. Yes. Young kid. Uh, Diane Chambers and Sumner Sloan come into the bar. They're talking of getting married and have plans to fly off to Barbados. 
We learn that Sumner is a professor and Diane is his teaching assistant and they have fallen in love. But first, Sumner wants to go get his mother's wedding ring so he can properly propose. Unfortunately, it's still on his ex-wife's finger. Sumner goes to a payphone to call his ex-wife to see if he can come and visit her to try and reclaim the ring. The bar phone rings, but nobody is there, so Diane picks it up and answers. As Sam enters the bar from the office, Diane says the call is a Vicky trying to reach Sam alone. He asks her to lie for him and say that he has gone out. Diane isn't happy about the lying, but she does. Sumner comes back and says he has to run off to Barbara's house, that's his ex-wife, and then asks Sam if Diane can hang out at the bar until he gets back. Soon, bar employees and regulars start showing up. First, there's Coach, the lovably dim-witted bartender. Then Carla, the constantly angry barmaid. Norm, the most regular of regulars, is at the bar. Uh, as the bar fills up, Diane is still waiting for Sumner. The other patrons have an argument about the sweatiest movie ever made. They debate Rocky II, Body Heat, Ben-Hur, and Alien, much to Diane's dismay. A uh, postal worker, Cliff Clavin, offers his first little-known fact. This is that women have fewer sweat glands than men, but they're larger and more active. <laughs> Sumner returns and says that the sweatiest movie ever made is Cool Hand Luke. So before he tells Diane <laughs> about whether he has the ring or not, he hears this argument is going on and he has to get in. It's, it's Cool Hand Luke. the perfect delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and everyone agrees that Cool Hand Luke is, is, is definitely up there. He tells Diane uh, that he was talking to his ex-wife, but something stirred within him, and he's not sure he can marry Diane if he is feeling conflicted. Diane tries to, uh, you know, put those concerns aside <laughs> and focus on getting married in Barbados, and um, and she convinces him that they should get married. But just then, Barbara, his ex-wife, calls the bar and says that Sumner can have the ring for Diane. Sumner goes to get the ring, and Diane is left at the bar again. It's late, and now Diane is one of the last patrons left at the bar. One patron thanks Sam for listening to his problems as he leaves. Diane wonders aloud why people turn to bartenders to express their issues, and then proceeds to share her problems with Sam alone. Sam tries to comfort her by pointing out that she can do better than her goofy professor. And Diane says that Sumner is everything Sam is not, and lists Sumner's qualities. He's intellectual, he's highbrow, and Sam is just lowbrow and sports-oriented, and all the things that Diane doesn't like. Spoiler, she kind of likes him. <laughs> Uh, Sam warns Diane that Sumner is going to leave her for his ex-wife, but Diane says that is ridiculous, and she needs to call the airline to change the flight reservations for the next day, because they're certainly not going to make their flight for today. So she calls and asks that the tickets for Mr. and Mrs. Sumner Sloan be changed, but the airline says that Mr. Sloan and his wife took the evening flight to Barbados. Sam sees what has happened and says that he's sorry, and Diane asks how he knew, and he says it was bartender's intuition. Diane asks what his intuition says about her future, and Sam says she can work at Cheers. Diane laughs at this, but when she's able to recite from memory a long order that Carla had asked Sam to prepare but he had forgotten, she agrees to work at the bar, but just temporarily. The end. So, Kate, impressions of this pilot? It's a flawless pilot. They... Introduce so many characters with very little time to do so, and you feel like you know them instantly, and you're part of the bar right away. Yes, and um, the rhythm within with, with within this episode in which they present those characters is really handler, handled masterfully. You get enough time with each character when they first enter that it's their moment, you know, for one to two minutes. It's their moment. We're meeting that character, and we actually come to understand them pretty well before the next character enters. The only one we don't see the entrance for is Cliff Clavin. He's just there at the bar during the sweatiest um, movie oh, movie right. argument. Yeah. Um, but the way he steps in, you know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> Says enough right yes. away. <laughs> Like, he, he introduces that little-known fact, and then he turns to, to Diane and says, what about you, miss? What does your perspiration habit look like? Something along those lines. And and you you get a feel for his social awkwardness. He's not a smooth guy. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so they do a very good job of establishing a lot of characters and giving them all room to breathe. But also, you know this is Sam and Diane's story. Um, within you know, their, their interactions from the beginning and, and they're the steady through line is, is their conversations. Right. Everything's weaving around them mm -hmm. and their story. And, and famously, we didn't cover this in the trivia, but Diane leaves after the fifth season of Cheers. Cheers ran for 11 seasons and was extremely popular. And, but there's two different shows. There's the Sam and Diane era. And then there's the Sam and Rebecca and actually more of the ensemble cast era. Um, after Diane leaves, you feel that all these side characters from the first five seasons are, are a little more, uh, it's all a little more centered, centered for everyone. It's more balanced. Yeah, it's like they suddenly step up into more prominent roles, and storylines revolve around them and their issues mm -hmm. rather than back and forth as Sam 
and Diane. You are right. And um, the creators of the show, Glenn and Les Charles and, and James Burroughs. Oh, and it should be no James Burroughs directed every episode of the first season. I think even of the first four seasons, except for like two or three episodes. Up through season three, yeah. every single episode. He's a legend in Hollywood. If you um, study sitcoms at all or read up on sitcoms at all, you're going to come across the name James Burroughs because he's directed over 1,000 episodes of television, which... Is a staggering number. <laughs> <laughs> like to just drop that number. A lot of episodes. <laughs> to direct one thousand different stories. So many pilots that have gone to air, made yeah. it to air. Um, and those three working together, they deliberately said, "We want to do a show that's going to have Sam and Diane at the center, but their their relationship's going to change." Um, they grew up and, and um this is the first show that they show ran together they had worked together on um shows for mtm productions for mary tyler moore productions so they knew were very familiar with shows like mary tyler moore and the spinoffs rota um and things like that and they liked those shows um they studied those shows for the comedy that they presented but one thing that bothered them was that the character uh, interpersonal relationships never seemed to change and they wanted to see an evolution um, of characters and you get that with sam and diane this first season is their flirtation uh and then they finally kiss in in the season finale and then the second season is them together but it ends with their fight and their breakup <laughs> and 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 so it goes on for these five seasons where each season kind of has a different they're at different places um in their relationships but you feel it in this in this first episode that there's something there between these these two I have immediate tension between mm -hmm. them um and as you said at the same time that there's, it's all centered around them, you do feel like you know Cliff Clavin, even though he really only has like three, four lines of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, very brief. And the pilot, yeah. Norm has his entrance and a couple other lines. Um, but you're, you're getting to know them. Some of the characters are going to be tweaked a little, um, you know, as it goes on, which is completely natural. It's not like every character has to be set in stone. There's, you know, the the feel that actors get for the characters and the, the writers get for the actors' performances, which are going to tweak some things. But a lot of these characters hit the ground running. And, coach is coach. Yeah. Right away. <laughs> Carla's Carla. Um, and another thing that I love about this pilot is that it opens with Sam coming in and turning on the lights at Cheers and getting ready to open. And the series finale, the last thing that happens is the last line of the series is Sam saying we're closed and he turns off the lights and walks to the back room um, of the bar. So it bookends 11 years later. <laughs> um, Sam coming in to turn on the lights and open up Cheers for the viewers. And the series ends with him turning off the lights and saying we're closed um, for, for both patron and the viewers. Um, and I, I don't know that that's what they intended when they opened up the series like that, but it was a beautiful bookend <laughs> um, when, they, when, they, when they closed off the show 11 years later. Um, one thing that I, when we were working on the book, you had a section where you were talking about how to deal with alcohol on, on a show set in a bar. Yes. <laughs> right? And one thing that I had not really noticed that you identified in this is front and center with the underage kid who comes in. There's a reason that it's the first moment on the show. Yes. I love that they did that element of the underage kid coming in, wanting a drink and Sam kindly and with good humor saying, no, this is my bar. This is how we run it. It's a clean bar. And, yeah. And, and there won't be any underage drinking and they're, they're pretty careful in how they portray. I mean, what in, with with a slightly different tone, could be a very sad show about alcoholics who run away from their problems. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes uh, a very warm show about people who like each other. And, just want to spend time with each other. want to hang out together. Yeah. Um, and among these people, we want to talk about Diane Chambers, uh, primarily. What is her role in Cheers for you, Kate? Uh, well, for me and for the creators, because I read what they created <laughs> Diane to be, was she was... The, uh, the audience seeing Cheers for the first time, she's seeing it for the first time. She's being introduced to these characters for the first time. And so she was the audience's lens to meet everyone and to grow with these characters. Yeah, this is a classic technique, uh, at least now. And, and with Cheers, we found it was hard sometimes to say what were sitcom tropes and what have become sitcom tropes because of Cheers. <laughs> um, because the, the creators very clearly said to their writer's room, and we have uh, we found quotes, and um, um, there's one writer named Ken Levine who who um, was kind enough to respond to some questions that we had, and he said it was a rule of the writer's room if they'd seen it on another show, they couldn't do, they couldn't do it on Cheers. Um, they, they had to come up with a different joke or a different plot line. But when you watch Cheers, sometimes you're like, that feels a little stereotypical, and then you realize, like, what? Did they create that <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. moment? <laughs> yeah, is everyone just aping this this joke? And certainly there are jokes that you can hear, you know, echoes of in other sitcoms. And that's part of comedy. I'm not saying that everyone 
who came out for Cheers is a ripoff. That's that's no, just the nature of of entertainment, and particularly when we we've all been consuming popular mass produced entertainment for decades, and the people who consume it are now the creators. There's going to be some of those echoes that that ripple ripple through. Um, but they tried very hard to avoid that. Um, but but now it is a standard thing to have the outsider who comes into a world, and that's the reason why everyone says their name, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because when you meet your friends, you don't. You're not going to say your name <laughs> every single time. Um, but for the viewers, you need that to happen and to give a little bit of bio um, about themselves. And Diane served that purpose in this in this episode. And at the same time, she was the surrogate for the viewers. She was also a little bit different because a lot of the viewers they were targeting were the ones who would go hang out at a sports bar. You know, I, I think that was some of the expectations what they would find. Right. And Diane very clearly is not that person <laughs> who would who would go hang out at a sports bar. She's above it in her eyes. In her eyes, <laughs> yes. And I think there's something about Diane Chambers that one reason that she resonates so much is there's this dichotomy that feels earned and feels legitimate and creates this tension where she is simultaneously um, – elitist and needy right where where like she feels she's above all these people but she also really wants them to like her she needs the like their approval in everything she does and she wants them to like what she likes which is a very human <laughs> emotion to have we've all experienced that where you're sharing something with someone and you and you end up like watching them watching it like do they like this as much as i do it's <laughs> for the reaction and, and she knows her tastes aren't their tastes and she kind of looks down her nose at their tastes but at the same time she wants them to come to an opera with her. She She's going to want them to go, she's going to want Sam, who is this ex-baseball player jock who runs a bar, to go to museums and and appreciate it. And he's going to fight some of that, but at the same time, I, I, they're going to rub off on each other. Um, right. He's going to be exposed to things they wouldn't normally and, and gain a great appreciation, and she's going to gain some life lessons that she needs <laughs> uh, through, through her time at Cheers. And it's not totally one-sided. Like, she comes in, watches the sports games with them, mm-hmm. and partakes in their tastes, and so she does expect it back that they'll take on her taste a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having that um, that mix of kind of um, self confident egotism, but also <laughs> frailty <laughs> around her, like you 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 see it in Shelley Long's performance in this pilot. Um, and I think Shelley Long is underrated as a comedic actress. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and I, I, because there's that split of the Diane and Sam years and then the Rebecca years. And I, in just working on this book, I've discovered that fans have strong opinions. On, Seems like nobody likes her. Yeah. On, on which side? And a lot of people say they, they prefer the Rebecca years, but I think Diane's a better character than Rebecca. Um, I agree. She's much more interesting and. Well, interesting, but deeper i guess mm-hmm. yeah and, and um you see her evolve whereas more, you see rebecca devolve yes. <laughs> a bit more and which i'm not trying to take away from um oh uh kirstie, uh, alley. kirstie alley's performance because there's nothing funnier than kirstie alley <laughs> having a meltdown but maybe they would do that well a little too often because it becomes one of rebecca's only character traits is she has meltdowns as everything falls apart around her they're so good yeah they are <laughs> hilarious <laughs> But <laughs> she but, can do more. Yes, she can do more. Um, but Shelley Long, she does a lot of great facial acting where you see different layers of emotion in her face. She has fantastic comedic delivery. And in other episodes, you see she's a really gifted physical comedian, which I've, yes. I, did, I did not find very many people giving her credit for that when we were doing research and reading reviews and stuff. Um, but both in like, <laughs> there's episodes where she has a facial tick that she can't control, <laughs> which is great. But there's just so much that she brings to the table um, as, as Diane Chambers. And her long monologues. Yes. Or- phenomenal <laughs> and and so like long monologues without a break from the camera like this these are good good strong acting performances that were being given um by shelly and um I, I think similarly some people think of sam alone as just a dumb jock but i think ted danson gives him some other layers within there right for you um what is, if you're going to try and encapsulate diane chambers in and just, you know, maybe the, we've done it before in the podcast, like the 10 word game. If you're going to give like 10 adjectives to describe yes. a character, what is Diane Chambers in, t- in 10 words? And we can go back Are you and gonna forth. Are you going to do this with want. me? Yeah. 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 Elitist. Uh, I'm going to say pseudo intellectual. Like she wants to be intellectual, but she doesn't quite hit the mark She's all the time. Right there. Yeah. 
it, like, it just it, like in like that there's a few episodes where like she'll talk about like what she's gonna do when she gets home and you know in the reading and then when it cuts to her she's watching tv with the she, facial mask, the on. Face mask on eating fried chicken <laughs> yes <laughs> and then when someone comes she grabs a book <laughs> no no <laughs> i was reading <laughs> um i your word fragile mm, that is a good one uh for her because um we see her we see her cracks and I think this is another part of Shelley Long's great performance. Like she wants to be a, a very strong woman, but you see where some of her, um, I, I guess her uh, frailties are, right? Where, right. You know, where, where her personal insecurities um, are. Let's see. Um, confident. Right. Like She is. She very, is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially for a woman in that time in, Academics. Yeah, early 80s in academia, which I, okay, we need to acknowledge the, the pilot episode. Uh, inappropriate, Sumner. <laughs> Sumner Sloan, her her professor, who took her on a T as a Mentor, TA. <laughs> yeah, boss, and yeah. was just like, well, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> yes, and, and it's not as though her next boss is going to be any better in, in that area. Yes. <laughs> because Sam is going to just hit on her nonstop uh, in, the, in this first season. Um, so... There's several characters in Cheers who would be sweating out the Me Too movement of of the 2000 teens uh, looking back on their lives in the 1980s. Yes, <laughs> but just a product of their time. It's just the writers wrote what seemed normal. Mm-hmm. And in that way, um, I, I think Diane is like Diane isn't the stereotypical um, sitcom uh, female lead. No, at the time, I mean there were there were certain. I mean, these creators are coming out of the Mary Tyler Moore production school. I think <laughs> you can see some of the Mary Tyler Moore DNA uh, in in Diane, um, where where Mary, Mary Tyler Moore was a strong single female lead um, uh, of a sitcom, and this is going to change it and make romance a focus. But it's not just dividing Diane's character; it's, it's like defining the show, like this this dance between Sam and Diane. Right. It's just not all who she is. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the guy. Yeah. Another word? Yes. Um, I was going to say snob. She is. <laughs> she is. <laughs> I mean, so when you say someone is elitist, like, there, there can be different ways to take that. And then snob, it just puts a different spin. She just looks down. Everyone in that bar is below her. Mm-hmm. Even though she loves them. Yes. They're just below her. Because that was going to be the next word, was friendly. <laughs> oh, right. Or yes. even maternal. Like, she takes on a maternal relationship with some of the other patrons. Like, she wants Cliff to be better. Right. Oh, and, and, yeah. And she, 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 uh, she adores Coach. Oh, yes. Very endearing. Mm-hmm. And, and even Norm. Like, she tries to inspire Norm to... Oh, she calls him Norman. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, to, to she wants to inspire him to aspire to more in his life. Right? So there's kind of this maternal relationship. That's a good point, yeah. There's nothing about her that's mean or vindictive. I don't know if that's a word we're going off of. But she's just... She is kind. She mm-hmm. just sees herself as so much more than right. other people. Right. She sees her point of view as the point of view that she thinks everyone else should be sharing. Yes. Which again, perfectly human <laughs> thing to have as a character We've drink. all been there. Yes. I give you the internet. 2018 <laughs> for evidence <Yikes>. of this. <laughs> that everyone just sees their point of view. That's it. Right. <laughs> uh, anything else for, for Diane, I guess, or as far as like defining character traits? I mean, she's a feminist mm-hmm. by far. Um, and she gives speeches about how women of her time and women in business stepping up. And so just a feminist. Yeah. Um, and, and thinking about it, like when you said she's kind of, I'm trying to think if, and with being a feminist, I'm like, does she have an antagonistic relationship with anyone? It's only Carla, but everyone has an antagonistic, an antagonistic relationship with Carla, really. Oh, yeah. Other than Sam. And <laughs> she still loves Carla. Yeah. Despite, but that's their the, like that's where you see the most barbs flying is is yeah. with Carla, um, and yeah, and like her, her when you say she's a feminist, it's not like she's wrinkling the feathers of everyone around her, no. you know, with yeah. the feminist attitude. Which sometimes, particularly, I think in the eighties, if you wrote like this sitcom character is going to be a feminist, it was going to be hardcore, radical, and, and yeah. she's not right. <laughs> she's just it's just a part of her. She's mm-hmm. not pushing it in your face. It's just who she is. But I love end of season five. She chooses career over marriage and leaves Sam. 
Um, yeah, so that is her her exit after five years is actually on their would-be wedding day. She's in the wedding dress. She's in the wedding dress. Um, so I guess we already said season one flirtation, season two, they're actually together. Season three, they fought and she's, she is with Frasier, but still having thoughts about Sam (laughs) the whole whole time. And at the end of season three, she's supposed to marry Frasier and yours are left to wonder what happened. Season four, um, Sam has convinced her not to marry Frasier, but they're still kind of fighting, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and, uh, and Sam dates someone else at the end of season four, but then chooses Diane. And at the beginning of season five, he proposes to Diane. And this is maybe, for me, the weakest part is that middle of season five, when right. Sam proposed to Diane, she said no, because they knew they needed to do a full year of stories, <laughs> you know? And uh, just saying yes was, wasn't going to give them the attention they wanted. And then they spend uh, the first half of season five, is Diane saying, I didn't mean to say no. I want you to ask me in. And Sam's saying, no, I'm done. This is crazy. This is the worst relationship of my life. <laughs> and, and then in the middle, they get re-engaged for me, maybe the low point of the series. Well, I don't know. There's, not every episode's great. But, but in the court this, order engagement. Yes, the court orders them to get engaged. Uh, it's, it's just a really convoluted way to get them back together after what they, the, you know, how they had set the course at the beginning of season five. But then they're building towards this um, marriage at the end and it's like you said the wedding day she's in the dress and then Sumner Sloan returns <laughs> yeah <laughs> just by phone or no in person I, I think he's in person I think he's right. there three times he's there that's in the right. pilot one episode in season two when he hears that Diane is dating Sam and he's like that's beneath you <laughs> <laughs> And he's really trying to get Diane back because his ex-wife left him again. Um, and then here he comes to say, I submitted one of the manuscripts you were working on uh, to a publisher because I, I found it again, thought it had promise. I submitted it to a publisher and they agree it has a lot of promise and they want you to work to revise it. And Sam says, if we get married, you're never going to revise that. Right? And, right. and so she ends up choosing to go revise the book. Well, he also says, go chase your dream. Mm-hmm. Or- yeah, like yeah. He, like if we get married, you're not going to revise her. that, and you should. Yeah. Um. And and in one of the best written <laughs> exits, <laughs> uh, Sam, she's leaving to go, and he says, "What does he say?" So have long? a good life. Oh, have a good life. And she turns around and says, "That's what you say to someone when you're never going to see them again." I'm going to be back in six months, and he says, "Of course you are." And they, you know, I love you, and good luck revising this, and I and I'll see you in six months. And then she walks out, and he says to the empty door, "Have a good life." It's just so like, good. oh, oh, <laughs> the writers bring their A game <laughs> to a lot of these. And that is, you don't see Diane again until the series finale um, at, at the end of season 11. Um, so I can't even remember how we ended up on that tangent about that. But oh, her feminism. feminism. Right, right, yeah. She, she did choose the, the career. career. And she comes back in season 11 because they see her on an award show winning a prize for a screenplay uh, for a cable movie that she wrote. And she says... I never came back because I hadn't finished the book yet. I wasn't, I hadn't, I wasn't good enough yet mm-hmm. kind of thing. So she doesn't give up. And she just pursues a career. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, all right. Within this pilot episode, is there anything else that stands out for you besides, so we mentioned like the, the opening scene is great. Uh, the way they introduce all the characters is great. Is there anything else that stands out though for like, okay, they're hitting the ground running creatively on this for first time showrunners. Like they're, they're, they're really flexing their muscles. Is there anything that you, you note? I always love Diane's last speech right at the end when she becomes a waitress and she's telling random patrons why she's doing this is that she's as, a student of life and she wants to study people and where better to study them in a bar where they have their ups and their downs and friendships. And I think that just sets the tone for the entire show of what they're actually doing, that they're, it's just a show about people and human nature. Right. So it's not setting the tone for Diane, but for what Cheers for is. For what be. Cheers is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she kind of leads that along that you, you need her to carry that out. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, and as we said, like there's these different eras of Cheers that you feel, and certainly in those latter seasons, you just feel like, like we said, this is a warm place where friends want to come see each other. Yes. <laughs> um, which is, you know, uh, simultaneously unrealistic, but 
also like the, the adult <laughs> friends with other lives would be there that often as, as we see them. Uh, but you don't end up questioning. Like when we were doing the book, like there's, we found there's things you can question that if you start trying to figure it out, it just doesn't work. Don't try and figure out what time cheers closes. <laughs> you're you're never going to be mess. satisfied. Don't try and figure out, um, the staffing issues. Why there's years. one waitress. <laughs> In the first five seasons, Carla is always complaining about Diane not carrying her weight as a cocktail waitress or as a barmaid. And then in the last uh, six seasons, She's the only <laughs> She's the only waitress in the in the place. She's got and, it. And there, there's no reference made that <laughs> they've gone from two to one, <laughs> which seems understaffed just in general. <laughs> um, because it, that's not what the show's about. The, the show is not about how bar functions. It's about making a warm, inviting place where you want to go hang out. Um, for me, one thing that I love about the pilot is um, the contrast of Sumner Sloan and Sam Malone. Yes. Um, both in terms of the name. <laughs> which obviously these are, are echoing each other um, and, and they're being set up as these kind of poles. Sumner is such, such a great elitist name. It's up there with Frazier, <laughs> another great elitist they're going to bring in. Uh, <laughs> Sumner. Uh, and there's even a monologue from Diane where um, when Sam is trying to comfort her and says, and calls Sumner a goofy professor. She says, he's everything you're not. And he starts to list all these things about Sumner Sloan. And it's like, Oh, like the, the writers know exactly what they're doing. And they're telling the audience, we know, <laughs> we know Sumner Sloan sounds like Sam Malone. <laughs> like, like the, this, this was, was deliberate. This was on purpose. And they're setting up this kind of like, you know, the star crust cross lovers from different worlds of Diane Chambers and, um, uh, and Sam Malone. And they do that in the pilot by showing us enough of her world right just mm -hmm. through Sumner as a professor and she's the TA and it's you know we find out she's been like the permanent grad student <laughs> um <laughs> you know in in her 20s uh versus Sam Malone who is this ex baseball pitcher who owns a sports bar who has patrons who come in to watch sports Who's on there loved uh, by his uh, patrons uh, on the 12 by 12 TV with a fuzzy picture that hangs on the wall <laughs> with one of those fat TVs right so much of this is so wonderfully uh, the show. We, like the way they use pay phones and everything. It's great. Um, uh, and I, I think that kind of quality, when you find that in the pilot, where it's like you, when you start to like pick up the parts and look at them, you say, Oh, they, this is all deliberate. This is, this is the puzzle has been put together for us, but you don't really notice it when you're watching it. It's only when you're, when you're trying to analyze it, you're like, okay, this, this is doing this, this is doing that. And you can do that for every one of these characters. And you can do this for almost every line of dialogue. I'm um, in this pilot. When you find that you're like, Oh, this is something special. <laughs> this is a special show, which if you go back and look in the, at the reviews in the, in the 1982 season, the critics were saying that they're like, Oh, cheers is going to be one of the breakout hits. It wasn't because it was on NBC and it was airing against some top 10 shows on CBS in particular, I think owned kind of Thursday night um, at that point. Uh, but you could see the reviewers finding it. And also um, the, when it came award season, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, this is another reason maybe people tried to find it in the summer reruns is because it won the best, uh, it was outstanding comedy. I think Ted won that first year. Uh, no, no, you know, he, he didn't, didn't, he didn't he win until later. Yeah, he was nominated. Like a, a lot of the cast was nominated. I, oh, maybe maybe it was uh, Carla won. Uh, Leah Perlman won. Mm. Um, like like, and every main character, any actor or actress who was a main character on Cheers was nominated for an Emmy, <laughs> if not multiple times. Yeah, if not yeah. multiple times, they were nominated for at least one because all the quality was there. And when you can find that, like even in the pilot, it's like, oh, I want to go in and see <laughs> see what the show is going to do um and I, I think this is one of the reasons why cheers is so legendary is because they had it from ground you know from day one and there are so many shows that become something special but when you look back at the pilot like oh they're they didn't have quite figured out the office you know at the beginning the parks and rec parks and rec very much so <laughs> they're, they're still figuring friends things out. even it's a little rough yeah um but cheers like the quality's there from episode one on uh, and like I said, there's, there's a few clunker episodes and maybe a few, a few plot lines that maybe make you wince, particularly when it comes to gender dynamics and, <laughs> and, and some of the, the, the punchlines that are given in the 1980s setting, you just say, well, that's a relic of a different era and you just move on. Um, when you see all that quality from the pilot, like you, you get excited. And I think one underrated, or, or maybe it's probably a rated part of the cheers quality is the set, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, it's amazing that they did the entire season inside the bar. It's so clever, even if it was just budget constraints. Which I'm sure that was a huge it part of it. Was. Because once they got a bigger budget, <laughs> they definitely went outside the bar. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, you you 
it, with your theory of design, like you, you, your master's degree is on the history of design. Yes. So you can speak more authoritatively <laughs> to this, but what is it about the bar design? Like just as a piece of uh, visual work, uh, you know, for, for the audience uh, that, that stands out. Uh, that it's in the center, that everything revolves around it. So Sam is, if he's at the bar, dead center. And everyone, whether you're going in or out, comes through Sam, which is pretty clever. Um, it's beautiful. The wood, the brick, the Tiffany lights, and then the glasses up above. Everything is visually very pleasing. Um, but I just love that everyone seated at the bar has to be right around Sam. It's not like the bar is tucked away in a corner. It's front and center bartenders. And one thing that's interesting is with James Burroughs, um, with his directing, is that they didn't do what you come to expect with three or four camera sitcoms where the cameras are always on that one plane. Um, there are times where subtly the camera is actually in the bar uh, and it, it there's enough dimension in the bar that that's an option that maybe a lot of like living room sets wouldn't hold up to that mm -hmm. as well. Um, but with the large bar that Sam is, is standing behind um, or Woody and or, or coach uh, are standing behind and with everyone centered around, like you get different angles around this, this piece that I mean, it's never breaking the plane, obviously, you know, fully, <laughs> but there are times where you can see, Oh, the, the cameras has actually moved physically onto the set uh, to be able to get this angle. Um, and I can't remember who did the set design. Do you remember? Oh, Richard. Starts with an S. Silbert. Okay, Richard Silbert. It's a great piece of set design. It's so good, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not exactly Bull and Finch. Bull oh, and no. Finch. The the bar is pushed against the wall and much much smaller. And so yeah. they moved it out to the wall to have the centerpiece be that bar piece. The dimensions of this bar are unrealistic for Boston. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's so big. And there's the back pool room and Sam's office. Office space. Yeah, which is a big office, too. Yeah. <laughs> like in a real he bar. He keeps going back in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, just one of those things where you just follow in. This is not a documentary about a bar in Boston. <laughs> this is a warm, inviting place where we as viewers want to spend time with these uh, these characters that we've come to feel friendly with, right? Yes. Um, but it, it's just a great piece of set design. Uh, and it's at the Smithsonian, right? It got preserved. Uh, yeah, there's this all this drama that got tucked away. And then this guy sought after it and put it in the Smith or not Smithsonian, but a different oh, museum. A museum? Okay. A, a, a high up museum, mm -hmm. but he, yeah, had to like collect it and put it in there. He fought for it. That's worth fighting for. Yeah, it's, it's a good piece. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very iconic. It's, it's up there with the most iconic uh, television sets. Yes, uh, for sure. Um, other things that are iconic about this, the theme song. Do you have any feelings on the theme song of it's Cheers? so long. <laughs> <laughs> when you are writing a book on Cheers and you have to watch episode after episode and there's no skip intro yet on Netflix, it is so long. But it's a great, charming intro. Yeah, and uh, I love the um, the way they match these old-timey photos to the characters Yes, uh, in it, and they keep that up through the seasons. So when new core cast members like Fraser Crane and Woody Boyd and Rebecca Howe get introduced, um, they get, uh, if you've never seen the Cheers intro, it's, um, I, I guess the creator said the original thought was they were going to show um, the power of these kind of social drinking and eating places uh, throughout human history. And so they were going to start with cavemen and have it like evolve <laughs> up to the cheers bar. And they, they like started to work on that. And they're like, let's just do the history of this cheers bar. <laughs> <laughs> and so they found old timey photos of Boston bars and um, from, you know, early 1900s. And then they hand tinted them to make, to, to give a different aesthetic to it. And they lined up images of, of old timey people that kind of looked like, George went who plays Norm uh, or had uh, you know something about their their visual look made you think of Diane Chambers right they, and then they would line up the, the actor and actress's names over, over those photos um, which is wonderful and and warm and inviting but if you are binging a show <laughs> <laughs> it's wrong <laughs> like you you have it on in the background <laughs> it'd be great week to week to have that theme song pop up and be like, oh, I'm watching Cheers now. But oh, well, and even binge, it's rough. It, it's just so interesting in working on this book on Cheers, how much they were talking about, like, the different eras of television. And the um, songwriter said, like, I needed the first six notes to signal to people, hey, the commercial break's over. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're coming back, um, which isn't something you think about as much with television anymore because we all, uh, you know, pre-record. There's, there's much less appointment viewing that I'm watching this live as it airs and I'm running down to the fridge during the commercial break and getting back. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not part of our, uh, you know, the, the current life view, lifestyle of viewing for the average television viewer um, in 2018. But that was part of how they structured these shows. Like it's, it's not um, just for, it certainly wasn't for binge viewing. It was strictly for um, these, you're going to have your commercial breaks and we got to have the jokes that land to lead us into the break and all these other things. Um, and one thing that made Cheers revolutionary though, is that even in that era, the idea of doing a season long story arc for a sitcom was, wasn't what was done. No, um, it was the mindset of the networks was everything has to be completely episodic, you know, for the viewers who, are just coming in this week and they maybe haven't seen what's come before. And Cheers said, why? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's make a hook that they have to come back and see what's happened to Sam and Diane from one week to the next. Cliffhangers. Yes. Uh, But then even within the world of Cheers, they still had characters like Coach, who who maybe missed stuff and you could through him, give the viewer an update of what's going on with Sam and Diane. Right. <laughs> um, or, or uh, you know, Cliff and Norm gossiping about Sam and Diane at the beginning of an episode <laughs> is to reset often for the viewer what exactly has happened in the relationship so far. Rather than a previously on. Though they do certainly do previously ons. Uh, it's just a different era of, of television. It, so, like, I highly recommend that viewers go back. It's all on Netflix. I think it's all also on Amazon Prime. And Hulu, I believe. And it's all on Hulu. Like, you can't not get it. <laughs> yes. Uh, I recommend this show, but you do have to kind of go in with that mindset. Like, this is a different era of television. And I just, I'm going to accept that in terms of some of the aesthetics, um, some of the style of storytelling, some of the jokes, like we mentioned, that don't haven't aged well. Uh, but those are... The laugh track. The laugh track. Which they have to clarify is a real studio audience and not a amplified laugh track because the laughs were so hard yeah they they, cheers was the first show that said this is filmed in front of a live studio audience because people assumed it was a goose to laugh track (laughs) and the creators like no we have a live audience and they're laughing this hard and we're proud of that that funny (laughs) we're very proud of this um and and this is one thing like uh when we talk about james burroughs as a director um i think one underrated aspect of his career is he would, during rehearsals, when the audience was there, he would stop the actors before they got to the punchlines. He said, uh. I know you've got it, and I don't want to burn this laugh. I want the good, because for him, the laugh track of the live studio audience is part of the full sitcom experience. Right. And so he would control what the live studio audience saw in rehearsal before they actually rolled cameras <laughs> uh, to ensure that the, the big punchlines were unexpected uh, for, for the audiences. Clever man. Yeah, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Yeah, to do it. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, any any final thoughts on Diane Chambers? Um, just in my own viewing, I, if you recall, as a co-author, I hated her the first time I watched through. I couldn't wait to be done with her seasons. I thought she was annoying and pompous, and I don't know. I just didn't like her. Um, with my second viewing, I really grew to appreciate her, especially Shelley Long's talent. Um, and then just loved the character. And now I don't know who I like best in the show. <laughs> Which years you like Which better. Which years, yeah. I I truly think she's a phenomenal character and actress. Um, and very sympathetic, especially even in the pilot. She gets left by her fiancé. It is tragic what she goes through. And she bounces back pretty quickly and just soldiers on in finding a new job and new friends um i think she's a great character and i think what you said about her being sympathetic i think it also makes sam a bit more sympathetic the way the way they meet and what their relationship is in the bio like he's taking care of her when he offers her yes. her the job at the bar which sam alone is an unrepentant womanizer like that is who a lot of viewers if they even if they haven't watched a lot of cheers like even without watching cheers i knew sam alone was a womanizer like that that's just like he's one of the, he is, yeah. you know for popular american popular culture and american entertainment he is one of the iconic characters who's just a lothario <laughs> he's just yeah. gonna go sleep with as many women as he can um but in this pilot he's like legitimately concerned with diane he doesn't he's not just viewing her as a potential conquest 
right? Or a potential right, romantic yeah. partner. Like, he sees someone who is wounded and vulnerable, and yes, he's kind of flirtatious, but he's not, like, aggressively flirtatious No, he's not her. taking advantage. He's mm-hmm. just genuinely concerned. Yeah, and, and because, I, I think it's because Diana is sympathetic and Sam wants to help take care of her, like, we kind of root for them, I think, from that <laughs> moment on. Um, and, and then we see, like, this evolution of their relationship for the next five years, and a long evolution of Sam Malone's character through 11 years um, on the show. But it, it's it's uh, very smartly done and very well acted by, by Shelley Long. Um, yes. Similar to you, I remember, so I watched um, a lot of Cheers in prep for the Frasier book. You know, tried to watch all the Frasier episodes to see what was going on with the character there. And then when we were going to do this Cheers book, I went back and I remember feeling like, hmm, I'm not ready for the Diane years to end <laughs> when it was getting towards the end of, uh, you know, the middle of season five, particularly I'm like, ah. and then I was really excited when Rebecca came. I'm like, Oh, Rebecca, it's great. And then because it's, when you're working on a book, you kind of just have to choose to make this show <laughs> your, your go-to viewing. So like, I, I, even if I wasn't like watching it, I would have it like on my phone on Netflix, like while I was doing dishes, I'd be listening to episodes. But then by the end I, of season 11 and the end of the Rebecca years, so I'm like, okay, I got to go back again. I was like, oh, Diane. <laughs> Diane's like back. like an old friend. Yes, I love oh. Diane. <laughs> like, I know. so exciting. <laughs> uh, and it was so great to, to go back and see her again and see those, you know, uh, to see those years and to be able to hold the contrast up with those years and say, this is all good. Like, this is all good television. Uh, I don't have to say one's better than the other. Um or, or, you know, or, or pit them against each other, which sometimes I see, like, the polls online that seem to be pitting mm-hmm. the Sam and Diane years against the the, the Rebecca years. Well, it's, like, instinctual. You would think yeah. you, these two women led the show, like, which one was better? Uh-huh. But we don't have to. Yeah, I, I think they're both great. And, and they're certainly uh, different characters. I uh, Like you said, I think there's a little more depth to Diane. And um, I really do enjoy seeing Shelley Long dig into that character. Um, famously, I, I guess it's worth acknowledging some. Like, they were or rumors of when she was leaving that there was onset tension uh, and that she was hard to work with. And we, uh, everyone was speculating about why she was leaving what had become a hit show. Because I don't, like if she left after season one, everyone said, whatever, <laughs> who cares? No one's watching the show. Who cares why, why, the, why the cast leave? But by the time she was leaving, this was the most popular show on television. Um, and so there was lots of speculation as to what was going on. Um, and someone was saying she thought she was too big and was ready to go on for a movie career. Someone was saying that she had too much tension and was a prima donna on the set. Um, some said that she wanted to go and spend time with her family. Uh, and some said she was tired of the Sam and Diane <laughs> dynamic. Like that she felt it had run its course. And really, it had run its course. It was, yeah. yeah. And even Ted Danson, like between, I think it's season, f- season four and season five, he's like, I hope they left the Sam and Diane next year because yeah. we've, we've done this to death and um there have been just because of the era we live in like there's been oral histories of cheers and there's been lots of interviews with the cast members that are still surviving i'm um, talking about it and it's worth noting that they all praise shelly long <laughs> yeah no one says a bad word yeah it doesn't feel like there's bitterness or recommendation and maybe it's just time to move on for any number of reasons um when she did leave the series and that the series had already had a little experience in introducing a new cast member because, um, uh, um, coach, oh, coach, who, what's the Nick actual name? Colasanto. Nick Colasanto. I kept wanting to see Ernie, <laughs> Ernie Pantuzo, but that's coach's name. <laughs> uh, um, but Nick Colasanto died, uh, in season three, uh, near the end of season three. The, the actor. Yeah. The actor. Like and so they had to introduce a new character and they introduced Woody Boyd. Um, and, I think it's Mike Schur, who is the show was the showrunner for Parks and Rec and is the creator and showrunner on um on The Good Place. He said that for him was the trickiest transition actually was from Coach to Woody. Um and once they mastered that, I think the audience was gonna trust them <laughs> with the transition from from Diane to Rebecca. Uh but like this was one of the core characters. Like like the show was Sam and Diane for those first five years. Yeah. Um and even like uh George Went, who plays Norm, he said his favorite years were when it was all in the bar and it was just Sam and Diane. Like, even though his character became more prominent right, in the Rebecca years. Every side character had their part to play. They said their lines, but the the, whole, the meat of it was... This kind of Tracy Hepburn dynamic of Sam and Diane. Um, George went for, said for him, that's kind of like the ideal version of Cheers is going back to the, those early years. And um, if you cycle through the whole show, <laughs> there is something that's just very like, like, oh, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back to just the bar. And just Sam, you know, Sam and Diane being the driving force. And pretty simple. It gets kind of 
sitcom-y in the the last half and a little more extravagant than yeah they they start go, they start going for more uh, like big visual laughs like uh you know um things like a a, a paint sprayer exploding and you enter a room and and George or the, went. the crock pot exploded. <laughs> yeah, or and... crock pot exploded. Those yeah. are pretty close to each other, I think. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> George Went gets covered in white paint in a in a completely white room. And you know, he starts blinking and it's hilarious. And it is very funny, but it's a different kind of visual gag than where you'd land. The uh, smart, tight dialogue mm-hmm. in the first season. In the in the early seasons. And again, it's not saying that one is better. The show evolved across eleven years, and you get different kinds of humor in different different periods of the show. I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all of the other shows on Dueling Genre, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go check out episode number 153, when we talked about Gilmore Girls with special guest Kate Dorowski, or episode number 64, when we talked about Niles from the sitcom Frasier. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or else on twitter you can follow at protagonistpod at jay and our producer andrew is at disminute and our facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast we have really good conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime if you would like to support the show financially you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show you appreciate it with a monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story so long background so i didn't see a single episode until we signed <laughs> uh.